Arnold and Ola Dooley had five children. They had uh, three boys and two girls. The boys grew up into young adulthood, into their 20s, before the disease was discovered that they all shared. It was a, a rare genetic disease that only a, a handful in our country had ever been diagnosed with. The closest other disease that some would be familiar with, like this one, would be Lou Gehrig's disease. What it did was uh, when it hit them, they would slowly, over uh, a period of time, begin to lose control of their muscles. Ultimately, they would get to where they, they couldn't walk. They'd be confined to a wheelchair, this over a lengthy period of time. They could barely control any movements. And eventually, each one died. When I uh, arrived in Atlanta, which was the church that I pastored before St. Andrews, I arrived there in 1988. I was told very quickly about the Dooleys, their five children, the disease. It had been written up in the paper. And that first week I was there, I, I went to visit them. They only had the two girls left at that time. One was in her 30s, and the fifth child was mentally challenged and a little bit older. Ironically, it was whatever caused her to be mentally challenged that for a time protected her from that disease as well. While I was there, I did the funeral of those last two girls as they went through that lengthy period of time and they knew how it would end. The Dooleys were one of the last visits that I made before I uh, moved over here to Columbia. I don't think I've ever told you about them from the pulpit, maybe a few of you uh, individually. I'm telling you because when I tell people, it's not to bring you down, which uh, it's one of those stories, it's one of those accounts, but when I tell people, the normal reaction is I presume what yours was as well. Dr. Kuhn, are you here? Thank you. 
the reaction, I believe, is, is probably what, what yours was, and it is sometimes an audible groan. But even if it's not audible, people groan inside for what Arnold and Oli, Ola duly had to live through raising these children and then going through that. Today in this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about suffering. And he, he acknowledges that in this life, there are those groans that we have to face. And that's the passage that we are going to look at. Before we get to the passage in Romans 8, I want to mention two things. The first is that here and elsewhere in the Scripture, suffering is presumed for the people of God. That may not be all that encouraging to you, but I'm quite sure it's not the first time you've heard it either. He doesn't say, if you suffer, he, he uh, acknowledges and treats it as a matter of fact when he addresses it here. But secondly, and this is almost a caution for this particular passage, what we're going to talk about today is, is not a formula of what you should say to people that are suffering. I think you'll see as we move on through this what I mean. I, I've never shared, especially this first statement that he's going to make, I've never shared that with somebody who's in the middle of suffering to try to bring comfort to them though I believe a right understanding of it can. And so that's how, that's how it can be used, this passage. And that is, it's a perspective that if we really grasp it, if we make up our mind, this we believe, that it can make a difference in our life when we are in the midst of suffering. Let me read to you from Romans 8, beginning with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. And Lord, even as here we, we talk about suffering, we, we do want to pray for Mac that you would uh, uh, deal with whatever is, uh, is uh, causing him this uh, breathing issue that uh, we all just witnessed. Lord, you're in control of all things. And so help us to take comfort in that. Lord, we pray now that you would give us your perspective. You saw fit to preserve this, for, for Paul to say this and for it to be preserved so that we could read this today here at St. Andrews. This was a part of your plan for some reason. No, not for some reason, for many reasons. And so, Lord, will you use it in our lives we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take a look at this, I, I, I want us to remember what we were talking about last week. Uh, that's, you know, the, the wonderful thing about going straight through the Scripture is that uh, there, there's uh, so much that is built upon. The hard thing is you stop somewhere and uh, if you're not careful, you forget about what uh, the previous week uh, was. Well, last week, we were talking about that great comfort that is, uh, is God encouraging us in terms of our relationship with Him to the point where we call Him Abba, Father. Daddy. And that, that's where it, we begin. That's where we leave off. And that's where he moves on to state this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What he's saying is, to get through present suffering, we must look to the future. Sounds contrary. And it, it tends to be the opposite of what we will naturally do. Because what we will naturally do is dwell upon what's going on to where we get so deep in, in the grass that we can't, we can't even picture anything else that is going on around us. That's the natural course that we tend to take when we are suffering. And Paul says, there's another way. And he tells us not to get so uh, stuck in looking at it. He's, he's not saying ignore it. He's not saying just be a stoic 
like the philosophers of that day would say, uh, just be in denial about what's going on. He's not saying that at all. He, he acknowledges this suffering. But he says, he says there's another place we need to be looking as well, and that is to the future. Now, that's, that's a stunning statement. And if you're not careful, one might think, well, that's unrealistic. Somebody that would say that is somebody that has never suffered before. Paul must not understand suffering. We know better. We hear Paul talk about his labors in 2 Corinthians 11. Him talk about far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less, less one. Enough to kill you right there. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Does Paul know anything about suffering? He does. And yet there have been those that have suffered worse than Paul down through the centuries. But few will say Paul didn't understand suffering when he makes this statement. So back to that statement. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now let me tell you what he's not saying here. He is not saying there's some kind of an equivalency here. An equivalency where, okay, if you suffer for one minute in this life, you will have one minute of glory. Or if you suffer for an hour or hours or days or whatever, that's how much uh, glory that you will have. He's not saying that though that could be of, of some comfort if you thought, well, you know, every minute I suffer here, I'll have a minute of glory. At least I have that to look forward to. That would be of some comfort. But he's saying not only are they not equivalent, they aren't in the same ballpark. You can't even begin to compare the two. The suffering you have now with the glory that we will have in the future because that glory is so far beyond anything anyone can suffer in this life. Now, if you're suffering right now, that's hard to imagine. And that's why I say this isn't something that you, you, you uh, uh, flippantly read this verse to somebody who's in the middle of suffering. It's impossible to imagine when you're right in the middle of it. And yet, 
we must make up our minds to know that this life is not all there is. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction, and he was talking about a great affliction, is preparing us for an eternal weight and glory beyond all comparison. Now he goes on to try to explain this back in Romans 8, and he illustrates it first from the longing of creation. Uh, verses 19 through 22. He, he illustrates it from creation. Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In the Phillips translation, which I doubt that any of you have on your lap, uh, but in the Phillips translation, uh, I think it, it, it gives a fair rendering of, of really what it's saying here. And here's Here's uh, what it says. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sights of the sons of God coming into their own. So that waits with eager longing. It's on tiptoe because of that which is coming. Now you say, well, I don't don't get it. We're talking about creation. How does that work? When we think of creation, it, it's, it's not experiencing uh, futility or frustration because of the choices creation makes. Creation doesn't make choices in that way. In fact, creation doesn't rebel against the Creator. Okay? Birds will fly south. Gravity is going to work. Animals eat each other. You know, all, the, all those things that we think in terms of, of uh, creation, that's not out of rebellion against God. That's not where the frustration uh, comes in. The planets are going to stay in their orbit. But any frustration that is there is because sin came into the world. Go back to Genesis We see in Genesis 1, uh, creation described, uh, or it it describes Adam and Eve like this, I I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they'll be yours for food. So what we see um, before sin is that the, the earth is immensely productive. It was a paradise. A paradise. But then sin came into the world, and here's what happened. We call it the fall. Here's the curse. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Here's here's what, what all of creation is experiencing. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil... You will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. The dust you are, and to dust you'll return. So what what we have there basically is this. It's a reminder of how profound 
the effect of the entrance of sin into this universe was. Even though it was man that sinned, the whole world, all of creation, began to experience frustration. Here's what it goes on to say in Romans 8, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now Paul here, again, he personifies creation. Look, look at what he says, uh, groaning together in the pains of childbirth birth. Now, I'm not sure um, how you all handled this uh, when babies were born, if you have uh, uh, children, but uh, if, you took, if you took pictures, you husbands, if you took pictures, you, you probably, if anyone else saw the pictures, it would be after the birth of the baby and with the mother holding the baby and when she was looking radiant. If you took pictures during the labor, I suspect that if they, if they weren't destroyed, you were forbidden to show them to anybody. And those of you that are going to have babies, I don't recommend that, taking pictures during the labor. Labor is difficult. It is very difficult for the husband to watch. I'm sure it's almost as hard to actually go through. Women love when I say that. <laughs> he is using that illustration because people relate to it. And, and what he's saying is creation will one day be released from its labor. And it will be glorious. You, you think of our world and all creation now. There are so many beautiful things that we see in our creation but none of them compare to what the creation will be like when it's released from its frustration creation he's saying is pregnant and waiting for the delivery and it will be glorious in Genesis at creation, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good. He said that over and over. Creation is waiting for it all to be good again. And it will be one day. And, and so he illustrates with that so that we can understand why he would make that previous statement about that which is to come. And then... He basically emphasizes what it is now is not what it will be. And that's a good thing. Whatever suffering you're going through now is not the way it will be in the future. He says, verse 23, 
not only the creation, but we ourselves. So he's, he's taken us away from this illustration of the world, and then he says, yeah, but, but here's how it is for us. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And he says, here's the, here's the benefit of understanding that which is to come. Now we keep hearing this word groan. Uh, let me give you some places that may throw some light on this. Why that term's used for creation and used for us as well. Over in Mark 7, you don't need to turn to this. I'll, I'll just read it to you. Uh, Jesus is about to heal. Uh, and here's, here's what it says. He says, in looking up to heaven, he sighed, S-I-G-H-E-D, he sighed, oh, and said to him, be opened. He was opening the eyes of someone who was blind. Why did he do that? Is it because of energy going out of him or something like that? I don't think that for a minute. Mark 8, verse 12. It says, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? No sign will be given to this generation. He sighed deeply and then we see him at the tomb of of Lazarus. It says, deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Why does even Jesus groan? I'm convinced. doesn't have anything to do with energy going out of him or anything like that. That this sigh and this groan was when he directly looked on the effects of the fall the effects of sin. He saw one who was blind. He saw a generation rebelling. He saw his friend who had died. And he groaned because he saw how awful the effects were and he had to have thought, looking forward to the cross, what it was going to take for him to fix that what he would face on the cross because of what he was seeing there. Back to verse 23 in Romans 8. We groan, in, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are adopted. We talked about that last week. But that adoption will one day be complete. It will be ultimate. We are no less sons now. But we will have our inheritance because of our adoption then. When we will no longer wonder if God loves us, then our adoption is absolutely complete. When we will no longer fall back into the fear of a slave or of an orphan that we talked about last week. Because then there will no longer be any sin. 
and the traumas of living in a fallen world will be behind us. Now let me get real practical here. There will be a time where there will be no more cancer, where there will be no more divorces, no more suicide, no more mental issues, no more PTSD. I go into our grief recovery group each semester, once each semester, to talk to them about the Bible and faith and grief. And you know what I don't tell them? I don't say, it's okay. It's okay what you're going through. It's not okay. It's not okay. I tell them it hurts so bad because it wasn't supposed to be this way. But not only that, it won't always be this way. And that's the great hope. When that day comes, we won't have a grief recovery ministry. And I won't do any more funerals and you won't have to attend any more funerals. 2 Corinthians 5, parallel passage says, Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with the heavenly dwelling. That's why he points to the future. Back to Arnold and Ola Dooley. After I moved over here, I got a call from Ola that Arnold had died. And she said, Dale, I want you to come do the funeral. Well, I had basically made it a policy not to do funerals. That's a common policy for pastors, uh, not to go back and, and do funerals. But there were other circumstances uh, where their new pastor had actually fallen and broken his leg and he was in a, a wheelchair and so I talked to him and he said, it would help me if you did it. And you were their pastor for 18 years. And so based on that, I went back and did his funeral. Ola is now with the Lord too. As I think back on them, and the difficult calling that they had to watch their five children, all who were believers, by the way, go to be with the Lord, to precede them. I think of this statement and how true it is for them. Many times I'd leave their house after a visit and I would just be groaning in my heart. Unable to even imagine what they were going through and the life they had to live. But what a relief for them it must have been 
when they groaned their last groan here on earth. Now they know that as hard as their calling to suffer was here on this earth, they know it's not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed in them now. May God give us that perspective on life that is always tinged with the glory that is to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that even just for these couple of moments, we can look ahead and think of the, the glory that it will be that whatever is causing tears in our life right now or, or pain or groaning, that there will come a day when that's all behind us. When we will glory in you. And that that will be all we need when our adoption is complete. Will you give us a real proper anticipation of that? We ask you for this because it's not natural from us. We need your Holy Spirit to do that in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.